Hey, Kathy, do you know what time of year it is? I do. It's the holiday season. Right. And this year, I'm planning ahead and stocking up on a gift that will cover all the readers and want-to-be readers in my life. Well, give us this great gift idea. Okay. It's our new Read Happy, the ultimate reading journal. And we designed it with our friends in mind, so it's perfect. Plus, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. And there are links on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com and journalhappy.com. Happy holidays. And happy reading. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words and Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with James Byrne. Oh, yes, Kathy. I loved his book, Gatekeeper, and I'm really looking forward to meeting the mysterious James Byrne. (laughs) Same here. His main character, Des, has a mysterious past, and so does the author, I think, who writes (laughs) under the pen name of James Byrne. I'm holding up the cover here. Isn't this a gorgeous cover? I know. Cover? Yes, it is. Yeah. I got it right here. Yeah. And um, let, me, let me give my um, best introduction of him. James Byrne lives and writes in one of the coolest cities on earth, Portland, Oregon. And if you're watching on YouTube, it is behind him on the screen. Gorgeous. Under various names, he has published nine other novels in the realm of thrillers and mysteries. We've been able to suss out that he has worked for more than 20 years in journalism and politics. Two careers that combined can lead to some thrilling stories and good writing, which is certainly the case in this book we're talking about today, The Gatekeeper, which was released in June of this year to rave reviews. For example, the great Nelson DeMille calls it immensely entertaining, and the great Matt Graney, who we talked to last summer, calls it a taut, explosive tale. So James, it is so nice to have you with us today. Kathy, Christy, this is just a joy. So listen, let's talk about the cheers. We always like to talk about a little wine and James chose one of my favorite. He chose a Malbec. So let's see what you got, James. It's from Tuscany. Uh, It's called uh, Cassone. And um, my wife, Katie King, and I got to go to Florence in uh, October. And uh, Katie surprised me by getting me a cooking class. There was an all-day cooking class. And we had an apartment with the kitchen. When I say kitchen, I mean you could touch both walls without moving. It was was a cooking station. But um, it was one of the most exciting, fun, cool, out-of-this-world things I've ever done. Cooking in, you know, where the wine came from that vineyard and the tomatoes came from that farm, you know. (laughs) Oh man, that's so incredible. First of all, you're channeling Stanley Tucci, which I'm just saying, like I'm just picturing, (laughs) but CNN, hello, we need to (laughs) get James on. I am so envious. That is like my dream trip. Uh, It was, it was more cool. It it exceeded expectations. It was better than, than we could have, we could have hoped. And then you went in, what did you say September that you went? It was October actually. October. it It was ridiculously romantic. It was just 
Oh, Bonkers. wow. Perfect weather. And so that makes the Baalbek even more exciting. So let's just say a toast, a cheers to James. Cheers. And this fantastic <laughs> book, The Gatekeeper. So let's get on to the questions with James and talk to him about this great book that he wrote. I'm so excited, but I want to give our listeners a brief um, description of the book, uh, which Christy and I are hoping is going to be the first in a series, James. We'll talk to you about that. We're just, uh-huh. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, so listen, this book involves Desmond Aloysius Limerick, Des, to his friends, okay? And he's retired after 35 years in military and intelligence work, but it's very shadowy. I mean, we don't, we don't know his CV, let's say, by any means. He keeps that very quiet. So now he's in his new phase, and he's just, as he says, a bloke touring America with boyish charm, a bass guitar, and old bullet wounds. He does not go looking for trouble, but when it comes, he has a very unique skill set to handle it. This is, this is what I love. I can't wait to talk to James about this. He can open any door, keep it open, control who goes in and who doesn't. But he doesn't worry about what's going on inside. He only handles the doorway. That's his thing. It's just so such a great concept. Um, so when a highly trained team launches an attack on the air to a multinational corporation, Des becomes the right man in the wrong place at the right time. Uh, Des and the Target, whose brilliance with international finance matches Des's skill with violence, they find themselves opening doors to a dangerous conspiracy that could fracture the United States itself. There's only one obstacle between the conspirators and success, and it's the gatekeeper, Des. I mean, come on! I know. I, That's so cool. Christy and I both love this book. This is totally up my alley. Tonight on my watch list is the next season of Jack Ryan, and this totally reminded me of that. Wow, that's a high compliment. That's that the two seasons have been great. I love, and it just came out today. It just dropped today, and I literally like my family. I'm like, okay, we're watching Jack Ryan tonight. This is as we're recording this, but that's what this reminds me of. For I think for those kind of fans, they are gonna love Des. So mm-hmm. I am so excited to talk to you about this. I'm. I am absolutely fascinated by the concept of this gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Did you, is this a real, based on a real thing you've read about? Is this what you came up with? Where did the gatekeeper concept come from? I wanted to do uh, an action adventure book with a single male protagonist. And the problem is there's some people out there who are doing it incredibly well. And I I, I, I can't do a better job than, than they do. Mark Graney, Robert Cray, uh, the uh, now retired Lee Child, uh, Nick Petrie. Mm-hmm. Just a, a Meg yeah. Gardner, who's um, uh, orphan, or, uh, her uh, unsub series is bonkers good. And her new one, by the way, Heat 2 is insane. But um, so I had to come up with something new. I had to say something different. And so there were two things I thought I wanted to do. The first was the gatekeeper idea. He is a he is in military par- parlance, a breach expert. His job is to get through the door and to keep the door open and to control who does and does not get through the door. So he's a breacher. Uh, it would be a, the military term. I've invented the gatekeeper colloquialism and, and all of that stuff. But I, I had not read a book in which that was a guy's ability yet. And depending on how you don't want to define doors, doors are really, really interesting because doors, you know, websites have doors and, and uh, online portals are doors. And and I did a little bit of research into Janusz or, or Janus, who is the Roman god of doors. And he's the god of beginnings and gates, transitions and time, dualities and doors and passages and endings. And I remember thinking, Oh my God! Well, that's thirty-five stories there, right? So right. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a rich, it was a rich, rich environment. Second thing I wanted to do with Des, because I hadn't seen this exactly before too, is I wanted a character in one of these books who has no angst. 
this dude is just enjoying life. He thinks himself <laughs> as the luckiest bastard in the world. Mm -hmm. He's just having fun. And um, he's a bit of a goofball. He's not nearly as funny as he thinks he is. He's a dork. <laughs> um, and the, my favorite part of, of Des, and I, again, I hadn't seen this now, I really wanted to try it, was a guy who is breathtakingly uncool when it comes to sex and women. So given an opportunity to have sex, he's like instantly 15 years old. He's like, ow, oh, sex. Bloody, bloody brilliant, why? <laughs> no, zero cool, which is how, in fact, we all are, right? So mm -hmm. I just never seen it before. I thought, man, that could be a, just a ton of fun. I have a, I have a skill set I hadn't seen before and a personality that might lend itself to a lot of fun dialogue. So that was the beginning. One of my favorite quotes is, the doors we open and close each day dictate our lives. And I and I thought about that when you when like the opening scene is he doesn't care what goes on inside. He just his job is to get you in the door, manage who comes and goes. And I just thought that was so it gives him such a cool perspective because he knows his job really, really well. And he is very unique, like you said. I mean, mm -hmm. you found a niche that somebody else hasn't already taken, and that's really cool. And I, I love all the qualities of him, but I understand that he went through a few transformations from when mm -hmm. you started writing this book. In fact, you called it the Rumpelstiltskin effect. Yes. So <laughs> care to elaborate on that a little? I had this idea that I wanted to do something like this. I wanted to do an action adventure. And I had done several ensemble books uh, with lots, you know, multiple protagonists at St. Martin's where I am now and also at Blackstone uh, Publishing. So I, I, for a while, he was going to be like from the Imperial Valley between California and Mexico. And he was going to be a cowboy and then he wasn't. And he was going to be a cop and he wasn't. And he was going to be a crook and he wasn't. He was in his mid 40s. He was in his mid 50s. He had names like Kel and Keller and none of them worked. None of them worked. None of them. I just couldn't. I couldn't. And I'm an intuitive writer. So I write until I am bored. And I think, no, no, this hasn't attached. It hasn't caught my attention yet. This guy isn't right. And then I was watching some television and there was a, an actor uh, who uh, had a working class British accent, uh, you know, a very much. Uh, a, 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 this guy is highly educated, but talks like he is. Does, I mean, and so I thought, oh, my God, that's it. That's it. Exactly. I can hear the voice in my head. So then I came up with a the name working sort of backwards to get to a name that seemed ludicrously overwrought <laughs> um, which every american thinks is hilarious yeah um and then when i did that the book wrote itself i just got i stepped out of the way the dialogue came to me des writes his own dialogue i just shut up and let the book come to me because once i had that once i had the that was, if you'll forgive my expression, that was the key to my gatekeeping. <laughs> Once I knew Des, the book just just poured out. So I, did the plot, was that lingering in the back or did you need Des to, and then the plot came as well? Yeah, no, I, I am one of those, there's a technical term for the kind of writer I am. It's called stupid. I'm a stupid writer. <laughs> I did say that I don't plot out in advance and I don't outline. I write. And then sometimes I'll find myself in what my wife likes to refer to as my 40 page cul-de-sac where I'll say, nope, <laughs> the last five chapters are wrong. Get rid of them and start over again. So um, the, there were two things I wanted to accomplish. One is I'm a journalist, newspaper man. And uh, I wanted I wanted a plot that seemed like it was, and please forgive the colloquialism, ripped from the headlines. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing I wanted is I wanted to have a lot more than one more than two really strong female characters in the book too. That, because that's something I sometimes miss when I read some of the action adventures. And so I wanted Petra Alexand Alexandris to be in her way exactly what Des is, which is to say, simply very good at what she does. 
uh, and better than everybody else in the book. I'm not giving away anything big here when I say to to your listeners, it was okay for Des to rescue Petra in Act One, but Petra rescues Petra in Act Three, yeah. and that was that was highly important to me. So um, I, I, the plot had to be based on reality and what's going on in our world today. And I really wanted some really strong female protagonists like Detective Beth Swanson and her boss. And so, and then I just started working on a plot that seemed like would would lend itself to a really fun uh, adventure. And what, and what I was gonna mention was just basically what you said that there, because a lot of times when we talk to, um, you know, writers or, or readers, they're like, okay, it has to be, you know, a very strong protagonist and, you know, catch us and everything. And that's what you had said in the beginning. But I think that it also helps the writer because if you don't have that, then you're not going to, especially if you're the fly by the seat of your pants kind of writer that you appear to be, you know, if you don't have a good, strong character yeah. to just kind of drive you there. So that. That's really cool. That's really cool. So it is good to tell people, hey, you know, find that, find the character, even if you are an outliner, maybe, I would say, find the character very strong first. I like to say that I'm my first reader, so I write books to entertain me, and, mm -hmm. and I know I'm on a good shape when I wake up at 5.30, because that's when the cat wants to be fed. When I wake up at <laughs> 5.30 and say to myself, boy, I put my protagonist in a weird situation yesterday. I can't wait to see how he gets out of it. If I ever hear myself say that, I think, oh, okay, this book's, this is popping. Yeah. Yeah, cool. that's, such a, that's such an interesting point that you have to entertain yourself first. And if you're getting bored or, or the character isn't sticking, who else is going to be interested, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. start good in your own, in your own head first. <laughs> yep. Yep. I love it. All right, let's take a little sip of our wine. Christy has a, what we call the question in the bottle, someone that you might, a question that you might want to get to at the end of a bottle. <laughs> I also want to know what you guys are drinking, by the way. I, I'm, I'm having a Malbec. I am having a, um, it's um, this really gorgeous bottle with a big steel number one on the front. And it's a, yeah, Argentine and Malbec. Yeah. I was going to go to, to Trader Joe's today. That was on my list. Poor <laughs> Kathy can't really do that. And, um, I can't. <laughs> and I ran out of time. Few things came. So I did have this in the cabinet and it's a 19 crimes. So I figured, okay, yeah. I'll do a 19 crimes. And it's just a dark red blend. But oh, yeah, that's very good. But and I do like Argen the Malbecs. In honor of Argentina and Lionel Messi. Oh, wasn't that fun? It was the best final in the history of the game. Wasn't that crazy fun? Oh my gosh. I've learned, I have not been a long time soccer viewer. I'm embarrassed mm -hmm. to say I'm, I'm kind of late coming to it. I have a friend employee who is a um, longtime soccer fan. And, and so she's been kind of educating me. I, my God, that was great. Okay, Christy, what do you got for a question? Oh, okay. If somebody offered you a free house, but the walls were all see-through, would you take it? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> I, that was that was a really fast one. And I have to tell you that I'm an apartment dweller. Uh, uh, the reason that Katie and I live in an apartment is I am incapable of fixing anything. I couldn't fix a sandwich. <laughs> I only own tools if you can count like toothbrushes as a tool. <laughs> yeah, so giving me a house is, is a recipe for a terror or a downer because there's no, there's no way I could maintain it. So no, my answer would be no. I, I what about you, Kathy? Well, my first question is, where is the house? That was my question. Like, if because it's in the middle of the woods. If it's in Port Portland, I'm saying um, no. 
But if it was like, uh, so I live in South Dakota, so we have far fewer people around here. And so in my, the middle of your husband's ranch. Right. My husband's family has a ranch in the Black Hills that is 8,000 acres and no people. So <laughs> for that, I'd say, yeah, let the elk watch me. You bet. Absolutely. You have 8,000 acres. I have 1,200 feet. <laughs> well, curtains. I, that's what I say. Curtains. Curtains. There you go. I mean, it didn't say you couldn't have curtains. Anyway. So Christy, I'm guessing you would say, uh-huh. Yeah. I don't yes. know. I don't, I mean, in my younger days, for sure, I was, you know, <laughs> exhibitionist a little bit. But I also live in an apartment because it's easier to take care of. And I would not want my neighbors right there to see me walking around. But I will say we right now um, are having a amazing blizzard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I love to watch um, the weather. Like, oh, and it's the winter solstice today as we're, we're recording this, you guys. The darkest oh, day wow. of the year. I love that. Longest night of the year. Yeah. So if you could see through and just watch the storm. So yeah. it, it goes two ways. It goes two ways. I yeah, get it. Yeah. You're, you're thinking about who's watching you, but I'm thinking about like watching out. <laughs> Regardless, we cannot give James okay. a house because he cannot take care of it. So that's yeah. fine. No. We'll okay. just, that's easy. All right. So <laughs> let, let's let's go on to the questions. Then. Okay. Let's um, talk a little bit about how long you've been writing novels and if you can, some of the reasons why you've chosen to use different pseudonyms. I have always wanted to be, I, I, let me just point out to you that I have, for those of you who are not watching this on YouTube, I have very gray hair. I'm an older dude. And <laughs> I wanted, I am the luckiest. You can't really see it because oh, of the skyline behind yeah. him. He We're just looks at distinguished. behind you. <laughs> okay, good, good. I am the luckiest guy in the world because when I was 20, I wanted to be a novelist or a journalist. And uh, today I am a novelist. I'm the editor of the Portland Tribune. I'm the uh, editor in chief. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I, um, 40 years on, have both jobs I wanted to do when I was 20. So I'm incredibly lucky. Um, my dad was, uh, he's, he's passed, uh, but he was um, a fan of action adventure novels and he oh. loved. Uh, Bo Jest and Gunga Din and the Four Feathers and that generation of novels. And he would pass them on to us too. And he'd, he'd want us us kids to read them as well. And then at about age 12, I became a fan of Marvel comics. And to this day, I collect comic books. And I learned a great deal about good storytelling mm. uh, from, from that too. And and uh, I'm a former theater guy. And so I've done a lot of, th a lot of stage work and know how to choreograph and how to block. So all those things came together to tell me I really thought it would be fun to do action adventure type uh, novels and, and mysteries. So I, I had a couple, three, four books with Bantam uh, books. And then I had, I was with St. Uh, Martin's Press Minotaur for four books. Then uh, Blackstone for three, and Blackstone is a, is a lovely, lovely smaller publishing house that I like a great deal, and now back, back with the Des. And in between all of that, there was one point in my life for 15 years where I couldn't publish anything. I had a 15-year dry spell where I couldn't, pub I couldn't wow. get anything published. And what had happened was in uh, 2000, I wrote a book um, that the basic premise was terrorists bring down multiple airliners, and um, it was five months before 9-11. Uh, and wow. so that became the most unmarketable book on the planet. Uh, and I had to just put it away and give up for a while and just oh go guys. Uh, but now I'm back and, and uh, that, you know, that was the timing, timing's everything, right? So I'm back doing this now and having just 
tremendous fun. You can see the joy. I mean, when you talk about it and talk about Des, like you can just feel the joy. And that's what that's why the, it carries through on the page, you know, that you're having mm-hmm. so much fun. So, mm-hmm. OK, talk to us about pseudonyms, because I'm fascinated by having a pseudonym. I am fascinated by Christy and I are both writers. Okay. And um, in my regular life, I really like my privacy. Unpublished. Unpublished. Unpublished writers. But I, I love my privacy, to be honest with you. I, I really do. But everyone we talk to in this podcast, their job is to market their book. And so I'm just fascinated by a pseudonym and how do you, how, why, and how. <laughs> um, the, my editor at St. Martin's Minotaur is a guy who is famous. His name is Keith Kayla. And Keith is arguably the finest editor in the entire mystery realm, any house. He is, he is known as just this brilliant, brilliant editor. Beyond which, he also is a, a smart aleck and he has encyclopedic knowledge in 1980s television. And he's, he can drink into the table. He's just, he's a joy to work with, but he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he said, um, we, we want to get uh, we want this book. We want to give you a two book uh, deal on this book, but we want you to write under a pseudonym. And I said, why? And he said, because, and this is, I'm being honest here. My sales have always been a little bit anemic. My other books were what they called, you know, uh, mid-list books. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do you know that term mid-list books? It means your books do really, really well in your immediate family. And then it yeah. off, <laughs> you know, after Aunt Edna, right? You know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so my my sales were always good enough to that I was I, I was you know, but I never been on bestseller lists. And he said, if we go out under your other name, bookstore owners will say, oh yeah, last time he had a book out, I bought two of them. I'll buy two of these. We want Gatekeeper to be our summer tentpole book, and we want them to buy much much bigger numbers. So we need you to come up with a, with a, a pseudonym. So I came up with James Byrne, and they said that's fine, that'll work. And so that's what we're publishing it under. But I'll be honest with you, I went to the World Mystery Convention uh, this last year in Minneapolis, and I was there and walking around as James, but you know, four out of five people there knew who I am. So it's a, it's a, it's a really crappy secret. I mean, everybody knows it's, it's out who I am. But nonetheless, that, that was the decision. And that gets to a question you'd asked earlier about, will there be a second book? And I've got some information on that. Let's hear it. Because I, I, we both, Christy and I talked about it today, we were prepping the the script, which Christy adheres to religiously, and I religiously do not, so that's how we do. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Christy's much more organized than I am in that way. <laughs> but um, so, but we both said this has to be a series. It has to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I I have some good news, and it's okay. Really, let's let's really hear it. News. Uh, about two weeks ago, I handed in my last edits to Keith for the second book, which is called Deadlock. It's coming out in August of this coming year. And Good after name. he accepted them, he said, oh, and by the way, we want two more. So they just <gasps> put Des 3 and Des 4. Congratulations. Cheers. Oh, my god. That gosh. is a cheers. Congratulations to yeah. that. I love it that. Hurt. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Okay, so Christy also had a question today. Uh, she said, I, this needs to be this needs to be on on film. She's like, this needs to be a series like a Netflix or Amazon. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. we were like, yeah. Do, is there any options out there? I mean. And if not, we'd like to encourage them. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. I would love it if that would happen. I would love that. And I've written screenplay adaptations of almost all of my books and had zero traction in Hollywood. Uh, not even. Mm-hmm. A time. I, I made it to the semifinals of something that's called the Nichols Fellowship. Of the, which is part of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and it's a contest for for screenwriters. And I made it to the semifinals, which was super exciting until I knew that semifinals was Latin for you lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so that I just haven't had any traction yet. But you know what? If it ever happened, it would be gravy. I'm loving what I'm doing now. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think which which actor, you know, has we got to find somebody who's bow legged. OK, that might be a little hard. Let me tell yes. you. Yes, in my mind. <laughs> I teach writing like at the community college level. And uh, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And I tell would-be writers and, and new writers to cast their books in the draft stages. So I always cast really? And the reason I do that is because I write dialogue then that is written for actors. So if you had a protagonist who was uh, Dame Judy Dench, you'd write the dialogue one way. And if that same dialogue was being read by uh, a young Latina actress, um, you'd write different dialogue, right? You simply would write it. Wow. So casting a book easy early means that you write dialogue for a specific mouth. Uh, we have talked to hundreds of writers, and I've never, ever heard that piece of advice. But that's what screenwriters do, I think. So you're a little bit like a screenwriter at heart, you know? And if I have 25 characters with dialogue, and I don't want any of them to sound like, Dan like James Byrne, right? right. So they all have to sound different. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's an easy way to do it. So yes, wow. uh, I have, in fact, cast. From early days and early first drafts, I've cast as, but I never tell anybody who I did. I was going to say, are you going to share <laughs> that? <laughs> and here's why. I used to go to conventions and then tell people, oh, yeah, I cast so-and-so. And they would look at me with disappointment. Oh, <laughs> he's not at all who I saw in that role. Oh, as if, that's fair. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Because, you know, once it gets out of your hands mm -hmm. and the, that, you know, and they it's might like not be telling... able to get that person. But it's still a good idea to know, I think. I love that. But it's like telling somebody what you're... But you're naming your baby before you have it, because then they associate their relationships with that name. Yeah, and then they like, tell you, oh and you're gosh, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> that is, I love that. Okay, so um, on the advice to other writers, you mentioned you write early in the morning because your cat needs you to get up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, I, I love this conversation because we talk to so many writers who have two careers. Most writers, honestly, this year we've talked to. Um, have two careers. And so what's the advice you have for that? Find your zone. Uh, and when I say zone, I mean how you write, when you write, where you write. Um, my zone is because I, I'm, a, I'm a newspaper guy. I've been working in newspapers forever and ever and ever. And I literally, literally write on steno pads, uh, first drafts, longhand with pencil. Um, your books too? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The first drafts of my books are done uh, uh, longhand with a mechanical pencil and a steno pad. And I do it for a couple of Show reasons. Show us your calluses. We want to see the calluses. <laughs> I actually do It gives me a good metronome because I can get 300 words on a steno pad page. And I better move my plot or my character development or a joke or a, a clue in those 300 words or my, my pacing is off. Secondly, it lets me be creative in the morning. Then in the evening after I've gone to my day job, I type all that stuff into my MacBook and I'm okay. using my analytical side of my brain then to say, boy, that stuff this morning was pretty good. Or boy, that stuff this morning just sucked. Uh, throw that out. That was terrible. But I get to do an immediate day by day analysis. It's like dailies. Wow. Again, I've never heard that. And that is I so interesting. Either, and I love that. That's how I used to do my notes in college. You know, like I'd take them and then I'd type them and then I'd be like, oh, what was I trying to say here? And I'd get it all straight. Wow. Hmm. It makes That's me very fast. I can write a book in three months because wow. I have daily analysis of if it worked or not. So this right. is, I love this concept because, you know, there's, there's so many people um, talk about, you know, to get that first draft down and kind of don't edit. But I, I, if I don't go back and look at what I did in the previous session, 
one, it mm-hmm. helps me refresh my memory, but I don't, I don't want to be off course right away. Like you yeah. say, if it wasn't a great writing morning, I don't want to continue that. Plus, I don't like the long, long editing of the same thing over and over, you know? Yeah. I, I generally write about 20 pages and read them and see if they're good. Write 10 more and read the last 20, which is to say 10 through 30. Yeah. Read Write 10 more and read 30 through 50, right? Until I get to about page 100, more or less, stop, put it away for a while, print it, sit down on the couch with Violet, uh, my cat, sitting cat. watching me. <laughs> And, and do a proof that way. That means I am constantly saying, am I on track for the story that I thought I was? Does this make sense? Is it moving forward in a, in a way that I need it to? And that mechanism of go-backs, of 20-page go-backs, uh, allows me to, to, to make sure that my glide path towards that end of the book makes sense. And so I can, uh, it, it lets me see, you know, structurally I went off the rails back on page 45. I can see yeah. where I did it. Um, so that mechanism works for me. But, and when I'm giving advice, I always say to people, that's my zone. That's mm-hmm. not your zone. If you mm-hmm. want to be a writer and be successful, go find your own. My yeah. wife, and Katie, Katie loves coffee shops. I can lose Katie to a narrative in a coffee shop for 45 minutes. If they're, if the place caught on fire, she wouldn't know it because she, she loves to write in coffee shops. Mm-hmm. My friend, Phil Margolin, he, when he was younger and he had kids at home, he would write downstairs in the basement uh, on weekends and then mm-hmm. on weekdays, he took care of the kids while his wife went and did all of her volunteer work. That was his zone. I once mm-hmm. met a woman who claimed, swear to God, she lived outside London and she would take the tube into London for work and back. And she wrote on the subway, the tube in London. Um, I listen to music when I write, but never music with lyrics because I l- will hear the lyrics. So you know what I do? I listen to the soundtrack of action adventure films. I put on the Born Identity uh, soundtrack from John Powell, and that puts me in my in my headspace instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's I like a MacBook. Other people like uh, yeah, right. What I love about this though is that um, until you find your zone, you're still always looking for ideas that help you try things on, and oh, that doesn't work, and that, you know, and so that's it's so helpful for writers to hear what does work. I think that's why. So many people ask, what's your writing method? What's your writing style? What, you know, what works for you? Because if you haven't found your thing yet, you want to hear and you want to try those things out. That's super helpful. I once had a, a, a student in one of my classes. She's on, I have terrible work ethic. I can go, I won't write anything to me. Won't write anything the next day. Won't write anything the next day. I'll try. I'll sit there and nothing comes out. Finally, on Saturday, I'll write like, you know, 50, 60 pages. And what am I doing wrong? And I said to her, you're doing nothing wrong. You're doing 60 pages in a week. Your system is fantastic. What if, what if you were disallowed from having any guilt? What if you told yourself, I didn't write today and that's all right. I am not allowed to feel guilty about it. How much would you, do you think you'd buy it right? And she was like, you mean I don't have to beat myself up because I didn't write on a Tuesday? Oh, hell no. Like, you know, like that's the rule. By the way, I'm in her camp. I'm a big yeah. beater upper of myself. I think, I think that's a writer trait anyway, because it's a hard yeah. thing to find, you know, but. Oh, what, I love this. I love this. Okay, okay. So back on track. All right. So Christy okay. has a final question for you. Okay, okay. yes. Right. So we ask all our authors this. Um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, oh so good. So <laughs> He's good. like, it's in Portland. It's got to be in Portland. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you not, know, maybe I, not. He's I been to a, Tuscany. <laughs> I took a, a cooking class in 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 uh, Florence. I cook a lot of Italian. For an Irish boy, I cook a lot of Italian. <laughs> uh, so uh, what would it be? It would be it would be Italian. And um, I think it would have to be a character that's in this book whose name is Alonzo, because Alonzo is artistic. He's a theater guy. Uh, he's a dancer. He's a singer. And he also is the major domo, or he takes care of the household for Alexander, uh, Petra Alexandris. He is vastly different than her, but adores her. And, and he's gay. I love that character. And by the way, he comes back in the next book because I love him. Oh, so yay. Because I, I liked him too. I, I, I want to know more about him. I think I know Des as well as I can. I think I know Petra and, and some other characters. But I really want to know more about how he ticks. So I, mm -hmm. think, I think it would be Alonzo. And I would think I would want to ask him, you are thriving in a non-theatrical world as the only sane, solid, supportive character for this powerful woman. And you're a theater dude. Where's the interview? <laughs> that would be a great oh, conversation. Wow. Yeah. That should be a short story. I want story. to join too, yeah. I think that should be a short story. Oh yeah, saying. there you go. Oh my God, that's a great <laughs> idea. Oh my like, God. Mm. Okay. Dinner in Tuscany. So James, when our listeners want to reach out to you, get a hold of you, maybe ask some questions, support you, how do they do that? We have a website, uh, jamesburnthriller.com. And then uh, St. Martin's uh, uh, Press and Minotaur Books has really good websites for, for connecting people as well. But uh, my website is, is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And uh, I... I have to tell you, I'm going to tell you this right now. There is not a writer alive who doesn't want to hear from fans. There's no writer. When mm -hmm. Nelson DeMille hears from a, a, a fan, gee, I love your book, Nelson gushes. Because who wouldn't? Of course we do. Mm -hmm. So right. it, it, every time I've ever reached out to an, an author, Meg Gardner, as an example, and said, man, I love your books. What you instantly get back is like heart emojis, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah every, every writer wants to hear that. I agree. I, we, Christy and I had said a few episodes ago that if you would like to be um, kind and support your favorite writers, leave them a review. Like go go post a two sentence review about how much you love their book because mm -hmm. so yeah. often we don't take the time to do that, and it really matters. It matters to other readers also. They really want to hear what you think and why you love this book because that will help them find the book they love. And goodness gracious, is it nice for writers to hear that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's been such a fun conversation. And we are so um, thankful for you to join us. And, and thank you for bringing your favorite beautiful city behind you. That's such yes, a joy to see. Yes. I love Portland. I've been there many times, too. And I just love it. So anyway, I think All we right. need to cheers. There and cheers do. to the next four, three books after Yay. this one. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.